Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match! Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Those great commentary moments. Uh, well, there were a few more today. They didn't favour England particularly, certainly not at the end of the day. We're talking about this uh, programme, Simon, as a sort of Ashes review. It feels, after the second day's play in Melbourne, like an Ashes post-mortem, almost, because England's hopes are hanging by a thread now, 31 for four. Yeah, they're just about done, I think, in this Ashes series. I think we all sensed that that was going to happen, certainly after Adelaide, the first few days in Adelaide, we realised which way that game was going to go, and it seems fairly obvious which way this game is going to go as well. England didn't bowl badly today. I mean, they got themselves back in the game, but we still felt Australia had too many. That lead of 82, and then there was that perfect hour, the crowd behind them, and I thought Stark and... Cummins were, were excellent, perhaps especially Cummins. Stark picked up a couple of wickets. Actually, Cummins didn't get a wicket. And then Scott Boland, wouldn't you know, chipped in with a couple at the end. But it, it was it was gladiatorial uh, from, from Australia. And they, they fed off the crowd as well. And they fed off the match situation. And it was actually thrilling cricket. It was, a, it was an amazing experience to be there in that last hour. The crowd was so noisy. It wasn't a huge crowd in. I think the official attendance was around about 30,000 today. But they got so involved in that in that last hour and England you know they've still got Stokes and Root there and they've lost one of the wickets as a night watchman uh, but it's, it's hard to see them getting out of this on this surface there's enough there uh, for the bowlers and England were able to exploit that today to bowl Australia out. Yeah I mean there is a lot in the wicket as you say uh, it reminds me of some uh, a pitch like Headingley in the 1980s but qu- a quicker version where the ball if you get it on the right length and line it, it jumps it seems it it does things unpredictably and it's not an easy pitch to stay in on and actually the Australians did I think in the end pretty well to get 267 there were a few moments I suppose where England could have capitalized on breakthroughs and 
they'll look back on you know one or two kind of decisions to to bowl certain people at certain times. And I think also, you know, brilliant though Jimmy Anderson was again, four for 33 in 20, in 23 overs, amazing figures. I still think England could try and bowl a bit fuller still. You know, I heard Ian Chappell saying on TV, um, if you get the batsman driving and he drives three fours and then gets out, I'll take that, one for 12. And there were still not many balls that he tried to induce the drive. A, a classic example, Steve Smith's wicket. You know, Steve Smith loves just sitting on the back foot, waiting for the ball to come to him and knocking it around on either side of the pitch. If you, as soon as you try and bowl a bit fuller, he's just a bit slower getting out of the blocks. And he was on the move to that ball from Anderson, which nipped through the gate. It was a good ball, obviously, nipped through the gate, get got the inside edge and onto off stump. But, you know, just being hypercritical, there were still not enough balls in that area from England. If you look at, for instance... The Australian lengths in the first 10 overs that they bowled compared to England's lengths in the first 10 overs, there's a lot more short balls from England in their in their opening burst. And it's those 10 overs that, that really dictate the course of an innings. And look at what's happened today in that last session. 12 overs from Australia, four wickets, and almost every ball. I mean, Stark, as you say, wasn't absolutely on the money, but... Cummins, you know, every ball is asking a question. Every ball is demanding a stroke. Most balls uh, are foolish and drawing the batsman forward. There was that horrible uh, snorter to Hamid, which took off from just short of a length and flew at his head. And that's the kind of ball that you know really gives a, a batsman tremors in in on pitches like this. But generally, Cummins doesn't use a short ball very much. He just keeps on probing away, trying to hit the top of off stump. And actually, to, to Scott Boland's credit, he did that uh, in that one over he was offered at the end of the day. He hit the top of off stump. And that's where Australia have been that little bit better, a bit quicker and a bit fuller. If you'd been captain, you wouldn't have bowled Scott Boland for that over, would you? No, that's true, actually. <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, Stark and Cummins had created such a, a menace between them. And Stark got the two wickets. He was the, the lesser of the bowlers, really. But... But got the two wickets, good, two good balls that got the wickets. The one to Zach Crawley, which he kind of had to play, but Stark wasn't getting his normal in-swing. And I think Crawley was done by just the angle. And that was a good ball. He had to play it. And then the next ball just did David Milan for pace. And a marginal LBW decision. I would have given that not out, I think, as a, as a standing umpire because of the bounce. It just was clipping the top of leg stump. So unlucky for Milan. You could see from his walk-off, he did feel he was a bit hard done by there. But uh, actually, I, I would have given Stark another over just because he poses such a threat. And in a way, even if he's bowling badly, he still produces wicket-taking balls. But, you know, credit to Cummins. He went for the local man and he delivered. Yeah, Milan, that LBW decision, I mean, it was just shaving the top of, of middle and leg stump. It did feel like a marginal one. But there was, people say, oh, well, Australian umpires, you know, they, you know, DRS, uh, it, it sort of fa it favours Australia, even though you've got the DRS, you know, if you, if you give it out on the field, then the umpires call, it, you know, it, it, it goes with the umpire. But there was one earlier in the day where Leach actually, Leach's wicket was a, an umpire's call. That was given out by one of the Australian umpires as well. One was Blocker Wilson and the other one was, was Paul Rifle. So, you know, it, it, there were two marginal LBWs, one in each innings, and England got the benefit of one. They didn't get the benefit of the other. So, you know, no, no quibble there uh, whatsoever. Uh, Marcus Harris today, 
day uh, battling. And you look at the the scores in the match. I mean, it's it's perverse, isn't it? A, a player who's looked really scratchy, vulnerable. And you feel he could almost be out any ball. He's the player. That, actually, he's the player of the day, and he's he's. he's it looks as if he's played you know, close to a match-winning innings. He sort of held everything together uh, for Australia. Didn't didn't look particularly pretty, but he battled it out for 189 balls for his 76. I mean, no one in this pit match, apart from I think Joe Root in the first innings, has looked in on this surface. Has looked secure. Root did look secure in in the first innings and, and, and had a waft outside the off stump and, and nicked one behind. But no one looked particularly secure for Australia today. It was it was really hard work. And you, it's that thought in the back of your mind, if England you know, could or could have, it doesn't look as if it's going to happen now, could have set Australia 180 to win, then you, you know they might be in the game, but it, it looks beyond them, unless something you know quite r- miraculous happens. It's, it's hard to see England setting Australia more than about, I don't know, 70 or 80, something like that. That's what it feels like overnight. Still Root there, still Stokes there. They've got that quality, but... It, this, this, there's enough in the surface uh, for the bowlers to cause England some problems and, and, and just sort out that middle order tomorrow. And, it, and it, they, they just make it happen that bit quicker. Certainly mm. Cummins and Stark do anyway. It just skips off the surface. That I think that's the faster. difference, Yoz. I think that's the yeah. difference. You know, we talked about England, you know, could they, could they have restricted Australia to under 267? Australia were able to sort of chisel it out. And, and mm. st- in, but Australia have got that extra bit of pace in their, in their attack, which it, it does it a bit quicker. And that's why England are under a bit more pressure. Well, also, I think there's the quality of the, of the the batters generally as well, you know, and they're not in form, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's, you know, Australian bowlers, for example, Adelaide, all of Australia's pace bowlers at Adelaide were quicker than any of the England bowlers. It was Australia's block, that, you know, there, there, what was it, four bowlers, and then England's five bowlers below them. And yeah, so they have got that extra pace. Of course, Mark Wood playing in this match, and he did get the ball through, at, I think, one or two balls around 90-odd. Well, over 90, actually, 150 kilometres an hour, so that's, what, 93 or something. I mean, you know, great effort from, from Mark Wood. He was unlucky. Harris stuck it out. It was pretty scrappy. Uh, the, the Aussies are very good at actually lower-order players as well, just picking up... 20s start Cummings, you know, crucial little extra runs, nearly 50 runs from that last couple of wickets. I think it was what it 219. Yeah, 219 for wicket eight, fell. Yeah. Mm. So 267, you know, nearly 50 runs from the last two wickets. Obviously, Nathan Lyon being uh, the night watchman meant everybody was was sort of down a place, but still, it, it's it's valuable runs, especially in the context of, of this sort of pitch. I mean, with Wood, it, you know, great effort from him, as I say, and uh. He perhaps just doesn't have quite the skills. You know, he's, Pat Cummins is, is one of the best Australian fast bowlers they've ever produced, undoubtedly. You know, I saw Dennis Lillybowl, who was their leading wicket-taker for, for a long time, and he had the same consistent menace and skill and relentlessness that Cummins has. But I think, if anything, Cummins is even more accurate and he just get every ball seems to ask a, a demanding question. With Wood, you know, he's, there's there's all that effort, there's pace. He hasn't quite got the height that that Cummings has, and he hasn't quite got the skill. He doesn't quite do the nut. It, it's just enough with the ball 
to to take wickets in in big batches. He gets wickets, but he doesn't kind of get them in you know twos and threes. Little sort of gets the, the best players out consistently enough. Mm. How, how about also as well this idea that yeah, there's only one of him as well. So you know psychologically mm. for the for the batters, they know they can see off a wood spell. I mean, he did cause some problems. I mean, there's a nasty ball uh, yesterday to Warner where he was flinching and it, it sort of, you know, turned his head away and it went off the glove and over the slips. And there's one to Green today, something very similar, and he got he got away with it. And they they were two wicket taking balls, but the, the the batters got away with it. But with so with Wood, you know, there's only one of those, whereas the, the mm. rest are steady. Whereas Australia have got they've got Stark with you know, pace, they've got Cummins with with pace as well. And in the last game, they had Richardson uh, with with extra pace, you know, more pace than the England bowlers. Anyway, it, it, and it made me think back tonight to just watching that with Stark and, and Cummins. You know what what it was like when West Indies had four quick bowlers playing in their mm. attack. It made you realise, you know, they, there is a bit of hyperbole around. You know, well they bowled at they bowled like the wind. They bowled at ninety five miles an hour. All of them. They they probably didn't. But what they did do is they bowled at good high pace and they were and it was relentless. There were there were four at you for all of the day. Yeah, and I think also the pitches weren't great. Some of the pitches you played against them on as well. And the other thing is that with, with the ball coming from that height all the time, uh, with the exception of Malcolm Marshall anyway, um, you get very little balls to score off. It's hard to drive the ball, at least with Cummins. You know, he's only, what, six foot two or something, six foot three. So you, if he bowls full, you can drive. And Joe Root did today, but played a beautiful off drive. And I think uh, so did... So did uh, Hazi Pamid as well. Uh, but, you know, with those West Indian fast bowlers, with the extra height, it's hard to drive the ball. So you're not going to get many runs off the front foot. And then, therefore, you're trying to score off the back foot all the time and balls into your ribs all the time. You, you don't have many options. They The boundaries were further back then as well. So, you know, using the fence. I mean, Melbourne is a massive space, isn't it? And in those days, when the West Indies were in their pomp, you know, they would use the full arena. So trying to hook or, or pull them for fours and sixes was a big risk. Uh, so you, you had very little scoring options against those faster bowlers as well. Are you struggling to get up and out on these dank, dismal days after a sleep-deprived night, hoping in vain for England to produce some fighting spirit? Here's a great solution, Mission Teas. Mission have created a new range of 100% natural performance teas to provide something we all need more of, sustainable energy. They're based on enlivening South American herbs like Rubosh and Yabamate. They've become a favourite with professional athletes, including some of the England team. They've certainly helped me get through some of these depressing nights. So whether you're following the ashes down under or not, we think you'll love what Mission offers. So we've partnered with them to give you, the listeners, 20% off your next order. All you need to do is head to missionuk.com, discover the teas you need to fuel your day using Mission's handy quiz, whether you're looking for better energy, enhanced performance or boosted recovery, and enter the code CRICKET20, all one word, at checkout. That's CRICKET20 at missionuk.com. There are a couple of other things that we need to talk about one is the delay to the start of the second day four people testing positive for covid within the england camp a couple of support staff and well in, in separate instances actually uh, one support staff and two from his family 
and then another person, another support staff a member, uh, are testing positive as well. So the England players are tonight are taking PCR tests, and I suppose in a way that the sort of the fate of the game uh, depends on those. You know, if if a few more were to test positive, then what does that mean uh, for the, for this game? It, it, they may have to have a look at that. Anyway, th that's something for the future. But it, you know, it's it's so much part of the game. You can have a COVID uh, substitutions. How many? It all depends on those tests. Both teams are, are taking the test. But England did take uh, the rapid antigen test this morning before they were allowed to go to the ground. They were on the bus, and then they were told, "Hold on a second. We you know we've got a problem." And they had to get off the bus, and they were delayed going to the ground. Hence the the half an hour delay uh, to the start of the play. I and mean, we thought initially when we heard that, we thought, oh, "Goodness me! You know the, the day." play is going to be called off you know everyone's going to have to stay in the hotel and who knows about the fate of the test match so that there is that hanging over the game and by the time people listen to this podcast it may be out of date we may know the results of those tests probably won't be known until the morning so there's that issue uh, that just you know does hang over the test match the other thing I w wanted to talk about is you just talk about uh, tactics there was a passage of play after lunch today, where Jack Leach was bowling, left arm round the wicket to the two left-handers, Harris and Head after lunch, and England had four men on the leg side uh, boundary, or four, four men out, three on the leg side, one at, at long off. It was just after lunch. It was a clutch moment in the game. It was 131 for four at lunch, and Jack Leach was bowling, his sort of leg stumped, and you know, the ball was turning down the leg side. It was easy pickings. And I felt England had done really well in the morning session, but they just allowed Australia to, to get away a bit after lunch. And those two added, they took the score to 141 before the, 171, I should say, before the fifth wicket fell. And it, it was it was that moment, I thought, was a really frustrating moment in the day. So, if, you know, if you look at England's bowling effort, if there was one sort of passage of play, which it did, you know, which didn't work out for them, that was it. And I think they, they got it wrong. They got it quite badly wrong there. And actually, Leach eventually went over the wicket and created an opportunity. There was a missed-stumping chance. There was a top edge that went just over a short, fine legs. I think when England looked back on their day, yes, good, 267 all out, but they, it, it, I don't know, they could have been just a bit more ruthless. Uh, Jack Leach bowling straight after lunch. It felt like a time to bowl your pace bowlers again. I know they bowl a lot in the morning, whatever, and they've got four of them, so you have to mix and match a bit. And lion bowls at one end, and the, the Australia rotate from the other, and perhaps that's what they were trying to do with, with Jack Leach. But it just felt as though he just allowed a pressure release on Australia straight after lunch. This is England's last chance saloon, and you have to appreciate that every start of a session is crunch time. You've got to strike. Batsmen have got to resettle, recalibrate, start again at the beginning of a new session. So ask them the most demanding questions. Make it difficult for them. Make it awkward. And that little spell from Leach, you're right, just let the pressure off. You know, you've got to think when you take the field again after a break, who would the batsman least like to face now? And I know it's hard on the faster bowlers who, as you say, have bowled a, a fair bit in the morning, but... If Australia are four down and you strike early after lunch, six down, seven down, you might be putting your feet up in an hour and a half's time. So you've got to keep going with the with the, the, the you know the premier bowlers at the beginning of each session. You definitely don't want to, to let your foot off the gas, and that's exactly what England did. You know, if you're the, the two left-handed batsmen on a pitch like this, which is it feels almost slightly corrugated. The ball is, you know, bouncing a little bit awkwardly and, and obviously seeming. It's a perfect pitch. It's a seamer's paradise, really. 
why are you bowling a spinner straight after lunch? And especially a spinner who is not particularly confident at the moment, bowling to two left-handers who are just working easy runs on the leg side with three men on the boundary on the leg side. So I think I find these sort of decisions strange because, you know, England, sometimes you can blame a captain for a, a weird decision in mid-session, but at the beginning of a session, when guys would have had time uh, during the lunch break to discuss who to bowl in that next session, everyone would have kind of given their opinion, but you'd have thought there was a consensus. I don't know why the consensus would be Leach. It, it, you've got to think we should be using our most potent bowlers straight after lunch from both ends. Yeah, and if it, and if it was Jack Leach, it had to be Jack Leach, why was he bowling round the wicket with so many men out, especially to Marcus Harris as well? It was like similar fields to Head and Harris. I mean, they did change it uh, quite soon after they brought a couple up, but uh, was Harris going to hit the ball over the mid-on t- towards long-on, you know, bring that fielder up? Uh, I don't know. It, it, was, it, just, it just felt wrong. And, and you know, Jack Leach, if he, you think if he's going to bowl round the wicket, and there was a bit of turn there, surely you need to bowl an off-stump line so the ball is, is threatening the stump, threatening that front pad. If you're just bowling leg stump and it's turning down the leg side with, with fielders, it's just easy pickings off the hip. Yeah, and it's also not yeah, and, challenging and, and, both edges of the bat either, is it? You know, you're not challenging the outside edge and the potential catch at slip, which Nathan Lyon can be good at. Of get, you know, he does get batsmen out called at slip. I don't think Jack Leach very often does get left-handers called at slip because he is that more leg stump line type bowler. Yeah. Anyway, it was a, it, it was one of those passages of play where just for England lost control of the game. It wasn't it's a dramatic loss of control in the sense that you know it wasn't like loads of runs were scored, but it was it just felt the pressure was released and Australia were able to sort of inch their way quite comfortably. It was it was for about sort of twenty minutes, half an hour, inch their way towards England's first inning score, and you know eventually build the base for that the lead of eighty two, which you know eighty two in some Test matches you know you can you can knock it off and you can build a, a decent score in the third innings. India uh, did that, didn't they? And the Oval Test match, I think they were about ninety ninety nine behind on first innings and they were able to dig in and overturn the game made a big score in the second innings isn't that sort of pitch so it, it, it felt a moment of, of release mm. uh, for Australia uh, but you know both both teams talking afterwards about you know the, the difficulty of the pitch Harris was saying that you know it was a difficult service to score and one thing about Harris actually he was saying that uh, you know it was a surface that I'm used to I'm used to playing in these conditions here so I, I did feel you know at home to some extent it wasn't easy it was really challenging so Anderson was really challenging but he, he sort of I suppose he had the confidence of knowing he could play on that surface and and just kept going and they just chiseled it out really I mean from Smith down all the way down to Stark, who came in at number 10, they all reached double figures. They all did a bit of a job and just cobbled. It was a cobbling together of a, of a first-inning score for Australia. And then that you know, wonderful hour uh, in, in which to bowl for Australia, and they, they certainly made the most and of it. And was that another a 51st duck? For England, isn't it? I think it's up to I think it's up to fifty two oh, now. With 52. Milan and who else today? Somebody else today. Uh, and Jack Leach, yeah, Jack, Jack Leach, Leach. Of course, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the the ducks are, are mounting up, and you wouldn't um, put it past England to register a, f- a few more on on what I think could be the final day. I mean, I I mean, I, it, it seemed fairly clear to me from a, quite a long way back. You know, even on the first day, this could really be a, a three day test match on this pitch, three innings game, or just about. I, you know, can England get cobble something together in, in their second inning. Stephen Finn was, was, was saying that yeah, if, if, what, what, what could England sort of, with a bit of luck, um, 
think about defending. You know, could could you defend one thirty? Uh, yeah, you, you wouldn't you think could certainly so. Give the you, batsman you, a few. You wobbles. could do some damage. Yeah. Yeah, you could definitely do some damage. You could make them. You could make them stress a bit. I mean, it's happened before in in Ashes Test matches. Uh, one, obviously, the famous one at Heading, and also at the Oval. Uh, in what was it in the late nineties uh, when when Tuffers bowled them out when Australia you know barely uh, chasing about one hundred and twenty and bowled out for a, around about a hundred. So you know that that's looking on the hugely optimistic side. But I mean, it, it, unless Root plays brilliantly and, and gets some support from Stokes or Bairstow or Butler. Then it it looks as if it's going to be a sort of seventy eighty sort of maximum. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I suppose uh, if you think back to that great uh, Headingley Test of eighty one, actually, where Australia were chasing, I think one thirty to win, and they were bowled out for right. one hundred and seventeen, wasn't it? And obviously they had Bob Willis charging down the hill eight for one hundred and eleven yards. How can you not remember England won by nineteen right. runs? Uh, I didn't realise it was one hundred and eleven <laughs> actually, but I should have known, shouldn't yeah. I? With that superstitious, superstitious number, but. Uh, in a way, you know, not dissimilar pitch, actually. That was a pitch where the ball lifted off a length. I mean, it was it was a bit treacherous towards the end. This Melbourne surface isn't quite like that yet, but I, I, you'd need a lot of luck to survive against Pat Cummings with a hard new ball in the morning. I can see him you know, definitely taking... I mean, he hasn't taken any wickets so far in this innings, and God knows how, really. So he, he's got uh, a couple... Almost in the bag in the morning. It's just a question of who and and when, I suppose. Uh, can England get another 180 runs to set Australia 130 to win? No, I don't think so. Uh, I think too much damage is done. There's too much happening in the pitch, but you never know. Slight correction, uh, Mayor Culpa. England won by 18 runs. They were bowled out for 111. Australia. They did need 130, but of course. It's 18 runs because they needed the extra run. So, yeah, they needed 19 to win when the last wicket fell. So it was eight, 18 runs. We're going to have Pushkar and uh, Andrew Sampson boning up, <laughs> we are, telling yeah, you yeah, off, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Australia 401 for nine declared and 111. England 174 and 356. Well, it, you know, it's going to need something like that, isn't it, to, to, to give England the sort of runs they need to try and defend. In, Mark in, Wood, in eight for 45. Innings. <laughs> eight for forty-three. Eight for forty-three. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bob Willis back in nineteen eighty-one. We're 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 clutching at straws. It, it's felt like a tour of, of of clutching at straws actually. From from well, almost the first ball at that when Stark uh, castled R- Rory Burns. Burns dropped for this Test match. What about England's uh, top order? We, we've seen Zach Crawley come into the game. Uh, no runs. From him, averaging eleven. I mean, didn't, he didn't demand a recall. It was a sort of hunch recall, wasn't it? They they feel he's capable of getting runs in in these conditions on Australian pitches. But this isn't really, as you've mentioned, this isn't really a, a typical Australian pitch. Mm. And, and and Zach Crawley in this game, uh, twelve and five. And I mean, he actually did he actually did well to get to five. And they, they did quite well to get to the fifth over. You felt like in those opening overs, there could be a wicket. Mm. Off every single ball, it was. It, it, and I was, I, I was talking in the in the commentary box just, just off air, and I said to, to one of my colleagues, "It's going to happen. There's no way that there's no way against this intensity of bowling that it, this opening pair are going to survive." Uh, I, I don't think I expected twenty two for four, but you, you could. It, it, it felt so much like a wicket or two was was just around. Yeah, the I, I, I feel for both those openers. I, I don't think there was much they could do about their the balls they that dismissed them. 
I mean, Crawley, having had no cricket for however many months, really tough for him. You know, the only opener who's... Well, actually, both Warner and Marcus Harris have made runs in this game uh, as the Australian openers. And, you know, firstly, they're not up against Pat Cummings and Mitchell Stark. And secondly, they've been batting in the series, uh, whereas Crawley hasn't had that luxury. So it's incredibly tough. But there there is a reason why Pat Cummings is the best number one test bowler in the world. That's because he's bloody good. And... He, he, I don't see how either of those batsmen could have resisted, although they both got out to the other end, I don't see how they really could have been blamed for, for their dismissals. Yeah, it's almost as if Cummins, with his bowling, had an assist. Do you know what I mean in, in football terms? You know, the person that creates the, the scoring opportunity, Cummins' relentlessness perhaps you know, helps Stark out, you know, that idea of, of bowling in tandem, which you know you would have done in your a career where you keep the pressure on for the other bowler and they get the rewards from, from your bowling. It seems a bit unjust sometimes because there's nothing in your wickets column and you think, oh, well, you know, he didn't bowl particularly well and this other bloke, he took a five for or seven for or whatever. And But, you know, it, it sometimes works out like that. It, it is about It is, and also, actually, one can't underestimate the advantage of a left-arm over bowler to support a Cummins, who is, you know, more conventional in style, but stark left-arm over, fast, looks to pitch the ball up, tries to swing it into the right-handers, but doesn't always get it right. But still, that angle is, is, is asking a different question to what Cummins is asking from, from the other end. So you can't underestimate Stark's value at, just in terms of his different trajectory and, and his pace and his total optimism. I mean, what I like about him, actually, is he runs up and he bowl, he'll bowl a rubbish opening over, but it doesn't need to put him off. And he comes charging in again and gradually finds his range and, and picks up wickets just when they need them. Mm. Well, he's got that experience as well, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's, he's been there and, and done it. Now, where do we get on with our, how do we get on with our predictions for the second day's play? Uh, last night I went for close of play score, England 10 for one, and you went with England 30 for two. You were so close to being uh, spot Scott on. Bolle, was, Bolle Bolle ruined, ruined my <laughs> predictions, didn't he? <laughs> He ru- he ruined it because it, when he started that over, it was it was it was twenty two for two, and you were nearly bang on. Um, I, I think we both felt, didn't we, that England could bowl Australia out today? Well, we well we both said it from our, with our predictions. We felt Australia would get a bit of a lead, um, and, and, but there was enough in the pitch for Austra- uh, England to bowl Australia out. So what are we saying? What's what's going to be our prediction for? The third day, yours. I can see. What, what um, you... I can see England getting another hundred and twenty runs. Leaving Australia seventy, they'll get it for three. Yeah, I, well, I'm I'm not going to argue uh, much with that. I'm, that. It's that sort of situation, isn't it? it I think mo- the most England will set Australia ninety, and even that is being optimistic. There may be one or two wickets in it uh, for England, but perhaps not that many. I am going for an eight-wicket Australia victory, and you're going for a seven-wicket Australia victory. So we'll see uh, where we are uh, this time tomorrow when, uh, well, you talked about being a post-mortem uh, this uh, podcast, Yoz. Um, it's going to be Australia retain the ashes uh, tomorrow by the looks of it. Um, we're going to have to we're going to have to have another one of those reviews. Aren't we? There's normally a, a, a review after an Ashes <laughs> series loss and, you know, heads there's normally, normally sackings and all that sort of thing. But, I mean, the, one of the bottom lines is, and we're perhaps... We, we have touched on it, is about the quality of of England's batting and the, and the, the type of batters they're producing. Mm. 
Um, it's a constant have, talking have they... point, you know, when people come up yeah. to me all the time, why are we so bad? I mean, I had my family over for, for lunch yesterday, Boxing Day lunch, and, you know, they're all asking why why can't we make runs? And it's it's a long answer, which probably takes the whole of lunch to explain. Uh, you know, fundamentally, it's the, the, the organisation and scheduling of county championship cricket, which over the last 10 years hasn't really focused on helping batsmen build long innings or facing fast bowlers or spinners, which is what you have to do in Australia. Yeah. And there was, you know, there was a, a focus after the 2015 White Ball World Cup about you know, what, what could England do? And they had, you know, they had sort of a real look at it and real emphasis on, on white ball cricket. And it, it looks to me as if they're going to have to have a real think about our, our you know the red red ball cricket in England. I mean, the game is in England is wealthy enough, and there are enough people playing. There's enough support in the game to actually focus on both. Yeah, I don't think one necessarily has to be uh, at the exclusion of the other. You just need to get your structures right and think about the the, the good balance between the two. Um, but I don't know whether that ship has sailed now. Whether the you know white ball is just going to take over more and more you know, with all the tournaments we have and the and the excitement that is generated around white ball cricket and the fact that England you know have got a good white ball side in both T20 and and, and 50 over cricket and whether you know the, the, the price that England are paying here is 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 about what has happened recently, I think, in, in, in the game. You know, there, there was a, a, a very competent England side uh, from sort of 2000 onwards. Central contracts helped that, but it, that that sort of um, quality has really been dissipated. And since the breakup, actually, since Mitchell Johnson broke up that England side in 2013-14, England have not been the same since. And they, they've been on a sort of like a an up and down... Um, Roller coaster, up and down roller coaster, really, yeah. And it's it. So someone needs to think seriously about how that is amended, because otherwise, this sort of thing is just going to go on. Yeah, I mean, it? it is. Of course, the advantage from an England point of view is that it's happening in the middle of the night uh, and in the middle of winter. <laughs> so no one's noticing. No one really no cares. One's noticing. Do they? Do they really care? <laughs> of course, people who listen to this podcast care. We care. But does the country care? Really? I mean, what we want to do is win the Ashes at home. And, and then it's all triumphalism and so on. And I'm not arguing that we shouldn't be focusing on winning them away, but it happens so rarely. Do we kind of up, upend the apple cart? Do we totally, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater to trot out a few cliches to just so you can win the Ashes abroad? Well, probably not. In, in, a way, in the end, it's the state of your game at home. It's the profitability of your game, the success of your game, and the sustainability of your game at home, which is which is the main thing. And if you can win abroad in Australia, it's it's a bonus. Yeah, well, that's quite a gloomy note on which to end, really, because it says this is just going to happen over and over again. Uh, but I think you can... Uh, England have started to lose test matches consistently at home, though, as well. So when that starts to happen, then I think people go, hold on a second. Is there something we can do here? I don't think we can just sort of shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, we always lose in Australia. England's record isn't great in Australia. Is there a way to you know, to challenge teams away from home? And that is the mark of a, a really good test match team. Obviously win at home, but can you win away? Can you win in India? Can you win in Australia? Those are the two sort of toughest places uh, to win. Yeah, sure, England can win in South Africa and they can win in, in Sri Lanka and they've done that. Although, you know, they've struggled to win in West Indies recently as well. And they're, you know, they're not, they haven't been a great test match team for a long time and England haven't won there for for quite a while I mean there are there are flaws fundamental problems I think one of them is they're not produ- they're not producing the, the the quality of batter 
And also as well, you know, Jimmy Anderson, he's not going to be uh, with us for, for very much longer, uh, you wouldn't think. And Stuart Broad as well. And that's taking out a thousand wickets. And you know, where are the bowlers uh, coming behind them? And where are the spinners as well? Um, we, I didn't think we were going to do a sort of yeah, overall we've already done it, we? here, but we've, well, we've sort of <laughs> yeah. we've sort of touched yeah. on it. But yeah. anyway, let, first things first. First things first. Let's see what happens on the on the third day of the MCG test. It's fair to say it doesn't look good uh, for England. It feels as if Australia are, are back to uh, retain the Ashes. We shall see on the third day. We'll be back with our our third day review, possibly our end of uh, test match uh, review this time tomorrow. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.